Hello and welcome back to the Loyal Suns Show. That's at the Loyal Suns on Twitter. Follow us there and follow us here for pit sports content you won't want to miss. If you love overanalyzing eight-second clips from spring practice and hate massive buyouts, this is the place for you. The Loyal Sun Show, a safe, sunshiny place for your pit athletics fix. Brought to you by our new sponsor, Rendine Consulting, providing investment managers assistance with technology integration. Today is Wednesday, March 16th, and the basketball season is over finally. Yep, and we avoided talking about it for three months. Congratulations, gentlemen. Give yourselves a little pat on the back. Honestly, it wasn't that hard. It was the last thing we wanted to watch, but we begrudgingly did most of the time. But we had to talk about it at some point. I really did try hard to, to give a shit about about the season, but it was really hard to do. Um, just found myself just absolutely unaware Pitt was playing a basketball game until like an hour before tip-off some nights, and I can't imagine. I can't remember the last time that was the case. Probably this, the Stallings uh, second year, but yeah, it was a miserable season from the beginning to the end. It was sad. There were a couple days we realized Pitt was playing like early Saturday afternoon, and we thought to ourselves, how nice it would be to go out, grab some lunch, have a few beverages, and go to the Peterson Event Center for the game. Then we realized, yeah, they'll probably just lose by like 25. Let's just... Yeah, I I know that we had like every intention of continuing to do shows through the pit basketball season. Um, we are a pit athletics podcast, not you know just a pit football podcast, and and you know we want to do more in the future. But I just think the three of us couldn't bring ourselves to dedicate multiple weeknights to talking about and analyzing and watching pit basketball just for the six of you sick freaks that would actually listen to us do those shows it just wasn't worth it all they had to do was be like a little bit intriguing or interesting or enjoyable to watch entertaining and they they just couldn't do that um so clap it up for them that's why we haven't had any shows in the last couple months but uh we're back now let's let's talk some football but uh not after we do our obligatory uh recap of this season all right, so let's do exactly that. Do we have any specific thoughts uh, about this past season other than just, like, a blanket yuck? Um, I think the one, like, tough pill to swallow uh, is is the fact that it was just doomed from the start. Um, Pitt was bringing back guys who, you know, theoretically could have been competitive in the ACC and then to lose, you know, beat we beat this drum already, but to lose a guy like Sabande you know, in the exhibition game, then to lose Horton, essentially for the whole season, um, and both those to take place, like, within a week before the season started. Um, basically, you know, that was that was the death sentence on the season before it even got going. Um, and then they kick it off with a loss to a low-major team, a double-digit loss to a low-major team. Um, and, and it really never got much better. The bar was low, and they still couldn't clear it. For me, the most disappointing part was... All of the maybe bright spots and intriguing storylines for players, like Will Jeffress, uh, Noah Collier, I guess Horton going to take the next step. 
a lot of the guys we thought might be okay or could maybe take a jump actually just got worse and we realized that they probably won't be factors in years to come unless there's some drastic change but I think there's a better chance that a lot of those guys we thought might take a jump just transfer to another school and kind of get a fresh start because it isn't working here so that's the depressing part other than John Hughley there were no bright spots Mogi was cool but uh yeah, Mogi was fun to watch. He was just like a 6'10 guy, could shoot the ball, would block some shots, have a big dunk here and there. But at the end of the day, like he averaged like 8 and 5 or something like that. So, I mean, yeah, I guess that's a bright spot. I thought Jamarius Burton was a bit of a bright spot. He's actually uh, is a pretty good like college, like power 5 guard. Um, he just didn't have a lot to work with. I think had to play a little bit out of position at times. Um, but he does seem like a leader, pretty vocal. Um, that's pretty much been the, the response of all his teammates and the coaches since he's been here. But, yeah, outside of that, there weren't many bright spots. You said you mentioned Will Jeffress. I mean, he he looks worse than he was as a 16-year-old at Erie McDowell, which, which is upsetting. Uh, that was probably, you know, Capel's biggest recruiting win as for guys who actually showed up and ended up attending. That was publicly committed. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. He's a local guy, you know, top 100 and fairly highly touted since he was a freshman in high school. And uh, he, I mean, he, he was awful. Can't, can't shoot, can't really dribble, pass, you know, is a decent defender. But most of the things you need to do to be good at basketball, uh, he can't do them right now. He's not ready yet. I don't know when he'll be ready or if he will be. But I will say this. There was a glimmer of hope in the middle of the season. They lost a bunch of close games. Then they rattled off a few wins in conference play. And we thought, well, we can build on this. Maybe we'll get a little better and finish respectable. But they fell flat in typical like Jeff Capel in February fashion. Getting blown out left and right. They weren't competitive at all down the stretch. It's it's a very specific, repeated pattern of behavior for Jeff Capel Pitt teams where the season starts off terrible and then they show that little glimmer of, Ooh, what, do, what do we have going on here? And then total collapse at the end of the season. Pitt wins three straight ACC games for the first time since uh, Jamie Dixon was the head coach. And all of a sudden I see all these all the Pitt fans coming out of the woodwork. Uh, maybe they can turn a corner here. We're starting to see a little bit is coming back next year. Yeah. He comes back and Horton. Maybe we can vote around this. Did Capel save his job? Boom, boom, boom. And then, you know, three days later, it was, how, how much How much can I donate for the buyout? So, <laughs> Well, I mean, at least, you know, he, he's coming back and we will, we will discuss. We will discuss the buyout and our thoughts on it. Um, but at least we have, you know, a couple good recruits coming in next year. Mm. Yeah, not literally zero guys. A tumbleweed just blew through the living room. <laughs> there's there's got to be something they can do, transfers. Will Wade just got fired. Um, isn't it in the rules now that Efton Reed has to uh, drop the bags of cash back off in Baton Rouge? His family members have to quit their no-show jobs in Louisiana, and he has to come back to Pitt. That's the rules, right? I don't even think I want Efton Reed. He just stunk. <laughs> the guy we wanted so bad is just not not any good. It's like everything Jeff Capel touches turns to shit. That's kind of what it's feeling like. Even if it's only momentary contact. <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, we're going down a dangerous road here. I, I think Cape will realize that if he's going to turn the ship around and save his job, he has to go the transfer portal route because if he gets these recruits, he probably won't be here when they get here. So going all in on the portal, and that's there's a million guys, but it's not easy. Half of the guys we got in the portal didn't even like register minutes for this team. And they, What's the thing? You got guys like they took Oladapo, they took Chris Payton, they take these guys out of the portal. And they can't even get minutes over like walk-ons and guys who average two points a game. I mean, basically just to have warm bodies at practice yeah. and it's it was bad, man. This this season was bad and this team was really bad. So where we go from here, Jeff Capel is back. Heather like announced it last Friday at 510 Classic News Dump. Bringing our, our flo- <laughs> Failing head coach back. Love to hear it. And uh, this looks bleak. Do you want another shot at that sentence? No. All right. (laughs) We keep it rolling. Uh, So let's talk about why Jeff Capel is being given another chance. Because if if you are any other coach or just about any other university... Uh, with a Division One sports program, and you put up the resume uh, that Jeff Cable has the last couple years, uh, you are filing unemployment by April. Why? Why do we find ourselves in this predicament where we are duty bound to bring a lame duck coach in for one more year? I mean, it's. W- Worst kept secret in Pittsburgh right now. His buyout is through the roof, uh, upwards, maybe above seventeen million dollars if they wanted him out this year. Um, whoever negotiated his contract, like, I'd love, I'd love to sit down with you and meet you, like, talk some financials, see how you can help me get a raise at my job. Because how how on earth Heather like ever agreed to that is is beyond me. I think it's crazy. This shows how bad it is. Heather Like is doing a great job. Look at the Pitt Athletics program. We have uh, volleyball, soccer, wrestling, all ranked, highly ranked. Baseball, like all these programs. They're on the rise. Football, everything's going well. And because of one bad contract, people are calling for her job. That outweighs everything else to some people. And it's... I'll be honest with you, like... I think it's a little excessive, well, but, I'll be honest. There's two programs that matter. It's, yeah. it's men's basketball and football. The rest, like, you know, I, I can live without placing top three in the ACC in gymnastics. Uh, no, no offense to the men's and women's gymnasts who attend the University of Pittsburgh. But um, if, one, if you have a 12,500-seat arena on your campus – state-of-the-art arena, uh, you know, just about, you know, 10, 15 years removed from being one of the elite programs in the country, and this is this is what we have to put up with, and this is, you know, we have a coach that we can't get rid of because of a bad contract he made. That's a pretty big boo-boo, and I've been a full supporter of Heather Like uh, since she's got here. thought she's done some really good things, and like you said, the athletics department is in a good place, but this is this is bad. This is a bad place for such a, a prominent program to be in. They're eventually going to have to buy them out. And I don't know what it's going to be down the road. I don't know how soon they'll pull the trigger on that. But it's going to be a big chunk of change. Uh, on top of that, nobody's going to be going to games. Like, 
how would you convince someone to get season tickets for Pittman's basketball right now? You can't. <laughs> Obviously, that's like a real financial issue. Um, but emotionally, that also crushes me as someone who, as a little kid, would get so excited to throw on my winter coat and go down to Oakland with my dad for a for a noon game. Uh, oh, I'd be pumped to even go watch them see or watch them play against like IUP in the opener. Yeah. It'd be packed. There'd be more people at a pit IUP exhibition than there are for conference games. It also hurts that it is the basketball team in Pittsburgh. We don't have a professional team. And then obviously, you know, Duquesne and Robert Morris are, are the smaller programs on the outskirts. But, I mean, pit basketball is is basketball in the city of Pittsburgh. And, mm-hmm. you know, quite frankly, I mean, there were no good teams in Western PA this year. Duquesne stunk and Robert Morris stunk and Pitt really stunk, so. So is is there anything that Jeff Capel could do realistically next year to save his job? I think if he hits the portal hard, um, I think the biggest thing would be, one, retaining this core of guys. Um, you know, bring back Hughley, bring back Femi, Horton, uh, Sabandi's back. Sabande, Jamarius Burton. Bring all those guys back. Convince them all to come back, which I think is highly unlikely that they all come back. Just the nature of college basketball nowadays. And, you know, a guy like Hughley would probably have some pretty solid suitors out there who would want him to come hoop for them. But um, if you can get those guys to come back and then land a couple impact guys in the portal, and I don't even mean, you know, they don't have to go get, you know, uh, anyone who was leading, you know, the leading scorer in the Big East is transferring. They get Julian Champagne to come to Pitt. But if they can get a couple guys who can tr- contribute um, and really just boost the core that's already coming back, can they make an NIT run even? I, I think an NIT appearance would be great, but Pitt hasn't successfully done that uh, in Capel's tenure yet, and I don't see how next year's team could be much different. If the ACC stays down. That could be one one thing that could uh, give him a shot because the, the ACC was really bad this year. The two things in his favor are the ACC being down. Like, they won six ACC games this year, and they were terrible. The other thing in Pitt's favor is playing time. You can go up to any player other than a big man and be like, hey, you're going to come here, you're going to play at least 20 minutes because, like, look at this, our, our cupboards are bare. You can be the guy if you come here, and that's a pretty big pitch for guys in the portal because they're looking for a chance to come and play right away. Right. They're not coming to work their way up. They're trying to play right away. And I don't know. You see, some schools do it. Eric Musselman's the wizard of the portal. He gets anybody he wants. It is possible. But Yeah, I mean, the template's there. Like, Wake Forest, I think, had eight new guys on their roster this year, like all portal guys, and they went 23-9. and nine. Um, So, I mean, they're... There's precedence for it, and maybe you can pull it off, but there just just isn't really much in uh, Jeff Capel's tenure thus far that that really encourages you to think that they will be able to We'll probably get really close for three guys who average double digits at a mid-major, and they'll go to Louisville or Georgetown, and we won't get them. We'll be stuck with some guy from a, a junior college in Utah. Bold prediction. Or just light 
all of Chris Bickle's donation on fire <laughs> and start over with like Jeff Bowles out of Ohio University or a, a, a second uh, mid-major head basketball coach because I definitely can name more than just Jeff Bowles. Don't see it happening. No? No. No, we don't want to... We don't want to immediately burn the largest donation in the history of our athletic department. Well, that donation was also for football, so... I don't know if... Uh, True. Un- Uncle Chris would would be uh, happy with them just moving those funds to, to affect the other... What, what if we got another donation for a uh, Chris Bickle 97 Pitt Panthers head basketball coach? I mean, someone get him on the line. We're desperate at this point. Well, maybe. So, do you guys, like, do you care anymore? If Hughley leaves, I don't know how anybody can care. I mean... And I, mean I mean, all just from like a... Like, do you think Pitt basketball can get back to being, you know... Maybe not the, the one and two seed every year that they were under Jamie Dixon, but can this be a team that can make the tournament each year? Does it matter if the football team is rolling on all cylinders? Or do we just have to choose one or the other? They definitely can. I don't know if Jeff Capel is the guy to turn the ship around. Um, but we got close. We were all, almost there. We were almost torn it bound. To, to his credit, there there is a sliding glass door, you know, alternate timeline where... This is like a potential tournament team, but somehow all the talent has been chased away year after year after year after year. Yeah, I do. I do just think back to when uh, Audie Stone, Xavier Johnson, Trey McGowan's were freshmen, and we're like, oh, they have like a real like big three to build around. And when those guys are juniors and seniors, this is going to be a, a very competitive team. We're going to be back in the tournament we're gonna be back to the old ways Justin Champagne sticks around uh you know you add Hughley to that mix and you just have a really good college basketball team but instead uh one of those guys playing the NBA two of them are going to be playing in the NCAA tournament this year uh so you know you're right there is an alternate reality where this team is really good and the tournament is you know we would have been watching Selection Sunday and waiting for Pitt, Pitt's name to get called, but unfortunately that's not the reality, and we're in a dark place. It's a lot easier to pull a basketball program out of the gutter than a football program, so that's the bright spot. All it takes is one good guy, get a couple decent guys around him, and there's your foundation. You've got to keep them. So uh, I would recommend that Jeff Capel does that. That's what I would do if I was the coach. Yeah, it's very insightful. Yeah, I mean, if I was the coach, I would simply just get better players and win more games. Has anyone ever put you in touch with Heather Like? I don't know. I I, I have some coaching experience under my belt. True, true. A couple Urban Impact championships, right? Oh, yeah. AAU basketball. I've been around the grassroots circuit. I think think it's time for me to take that next step. We'll start the movement. Uh, But in the meantime... Can we stop talking about pit basketball? Yeah, I think we're well over our quota. Okay, thank you. Until next year. Maybe. <laughs> In two years. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about football. All 
right, on to greener pastures. The Pitt Panthers football team has begun its spring practices, uh, concluding in the spring game on April 9th. What have we been hearing out of Southside, and how excited are we uh, to have to wait another six months for football? I mean, I'll take all we can get right now. Yeah. But, I mean, I do like watching the videos of Slovis throwing footballs for 10 seconds at a time. Looks real good. Looks real good, I can tell. Yeah, those are some all-American 10 seconds. But seriously, like, spring ball is just such a, like, tease. And it's like, I want to watch so much more of what they're doing, even if it's just Jordan Addison running routes. But instead, we just have to, you know, get reports like, oh, yeah, everyone looks really good. We're just really good. I'll say this. I saw a video of Jared Wayne making a one-handed catch, and I couldn't focus on anything other than that for the next hour. Yeah, honestly, it's just another excuse for us to give up on entire days of work because we saw Kanad Mumfield walk out of the tunnel tunnel and uh, look like slightly thicker than we expected. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I feel like he's the big one that you're hearing a lot about. Um, there's usually a couple like spring standout guys where like, oh, this guy came back looking bigger. I think Mumfield, people are a little, little surprised at just how physical he looks as a, as a receiver. Thought he'd be more of like a thinner Jordan Addison type but uh I mean I'm I'm really excited about the receiving core I already was but just hearing good things about mm-hmm. him um and then you know the other guys they have in there I, I think the receiving core really does have a chance to be one of the best in the country um I don't really think that's debatable at this point we know the receivers will be good it's going to be who's going to be throwing to them it feels like Slovis um you know I don't want to sleep on Nick Patty he's been here a while but um Will we ever hear from Narduzzi who's going to be the starter? No. No, he's going to send someone out on the first series, and that will be his announcement. Remember when Urban Meyer did that with Cardell and uh, JT Barrett? Yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. That was, like, really, like, stressful and That's like just the opposite. mismanaged. It's Jedi mind tricks on your own team at that point. I think you have... I think the difference Internally, is... Internally, they have to know. Yeah, I mean, I bet someone's Nard- taking all the first-team snaps. I... Yeah, I can't imagine it'll be 50-50 no. up until the West Virginia week. Let me let me rephrase. I think I think it'll be known in the pit building who starts. I just think Narduzzi, if for no other reason than the joy he would feel from watching the media squirm a little bit in Pittsburgh, um, won't say anything. Urban Meyer didn't didn't tell. Uh, Jones or Barrett, who was starting, did he? The story is that they found out, like, as they were trotting out for the first possession, who it was going to be. That is legitimately psychological torture. <laughs> yeah, I hope Coach Pat doesn't do pull one of those. I don't think he will. I hope that Pat Narduzzi has a slightly truer moral compass than Urban Meyer. Better football coach, too. This we know. Yeah. This is an oddly specific random like Narduzzi tidbit that I remember, but I remember whenever Peterman came in, there was like a bit of a a QB by a committee for a bit with him and Voidick. Like they weren't sure they would put Voidick in for certain packages. And I remember Narduzzi said, like, I regret doing that. I wish we just went all in with Peterman. Like they felt a little bit better with him, but they 
he was new. And uh, I think he might have learned his lesson there, and you got to figure it out soon and just roll through with him. I think the one advantage that Patty would have would have been, you know, the continuity with the system. But the mm-hmm. fact that they're bringing in a new OC, um, you know, once again, hate to hate to count out Nick Patty. Absolute soldier. Yeah, I, I think Chris Peak had a, a really good take on um, the quarterback battle. And, and that's why I like Peak because he's one of the few um, Pittsburgh media members that understands the concept of nuance. Like, you know, nothing is just 100% this and 100% that, and I'm a super genius to whatever I say. Um, but he, he wrote a really interesting article that's like, look, Slovis has the arm, he's got the size, uh, he's just got the look, he's got the ability, uh, but guys like Patty you can't count out because he is, for lack of a better term, a gamer. He has that intangible, that scrappiness, and while, while the ball doesn't come out as pretty, while he, you know... Wasn't wasn't getting a Heisman hype as a as a sophomore, you know. You you can never count out guys that have that chip on the shoulder. It's what made Kenny Pickett so lovable and so great in his last season because he was just a guy with balls. And Nick Patty is just a guy with balls. There are probably a lot of NFL scouts that don't know who Nick Patty is. Keaton Slovis was projected to be like a top five pick before this past season. Yeah, that was like how real the hype was. Someone sent a screenshot of a mock draft that just had him going number two. Yeah. I like my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> but it was like he really was, you know, thought to be, you know, a, a future first rounder. Um, everything happened at USC this year, but you know, you see stuff like that, you, you get a little more excited about, you know, what he could bring to the offense this year. So we talked about what we love, QB battle. Where are the question marks? Where are we a little worried? Or are we worried? I think the the biggest concern to me that like creeps up and will keep me up at night for you know a few minutes when my mind starts wandering about the mm-hmm. next football season is what if that offense just takes a little too long to install and there's not a quick you know very fluid pickup of the offense and it takes these guys a couple weeks to learn although you know even if they do nail it down it it just takes you know one or two bad outings to really derail a season when you have such high expectations, when you have aspirations to make it back to the ACC championship, win another ACC championship, um, be, you know, a top 10 team, because that's, you know, realistically, I think probably what this team is looking at after the success they had last year and bring just about everyone back. I mean, other than Kenny Pickett, um, which is a big other, but, you know, bringing back as much talent and as much experience. I mean, this is an old football team. A lot of fourth and fifth year mm-hmm. guys. Um, but something as small as, you know, the offense just doesn't pick up where it left off. Um, and, and, you know, one or two games here and there where they, you know, don't show up when they need to. We don't want a repeat of Whipple's first two years. Where exactly. Ultimately, and I think they figured it out. It worked. But uh, first two years were rocky. Yeah, but they didn't have anywhere near the talent they have now exactly. in, in Whipple's They're first two years. They're almost too good to fail. I don't want to say that, but it's like if you have Jordan Addison and Izzy and Banacanda and Gavin Bartholomew and Jared Wayne, it's like, it's hard to mess it up. Taking too long to install the offense isn't necessarily a negative. It's an absence of a positive. I think... Uh, Coach Signetti would need to actively call just a, 
atrocious plays for this offense to be impotent. It does feel like, and that is a good point, and that does reassure me, because it does feel like they just have enough weapons out there that they don't really have to get insanely creative. Mm-hmm. They don't have to get super cute. You can hand the ball to Izzy Abanacanda, and he can go pick up 20 yards just because he's an athlete, and you got five five senior offensive linemen in front of him. You can just throw a deep ball to Jordan Addison because he's going to get open. He's the best uh, receiver. We saw them in the Peach Bowl. The offense yeah. was struggling to move the ball, but they threw it to Addison, and he makes like three guys miss, reverses field, and takes like 60 yards. You can just do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, th- there is actually something that worries me about the offense. Uh, that, and this is definitely me being irrational because it's something that a football coach would be so much more in tune with than me and my dumb brain. I, I have this fear that... Uh, Returning so many starters is going to almost create a level of complacency. I'm I'm tiptoeing around to it. I think that there are guys who are returning from last year who should not be starting this year, and I'm worried that they are just going to be crowned the king of their positions, uh, especially along that offensive line when there are some guys who I think could very easily usurp them. Uh, there there are some some players that. Our offensive line held up last year. They were fine. But they also weren't mauling everybody. They weren't creating crazy holes. Kenny had to run for his life a couple times. Uh, Izzy's best runs were running into the middle of the line and then bouncing it to the outside. I think our offensive line could get better this year if there are a couple guys that we let slip into some starting roles. But I'm worried it's that it would be kind of a mentality of, you know, if you if you want the job, you have to take it from the guy who already has it. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, I do think continuity will play a part into it and comfort, that comfort that the coaches might, might feel with having a guy out there who played a lot more <clears throat> last year. Um, but I, I also am confident that, you know, coaches – coach for their jobs and right. want to make a living so if they think a guy gives them a better chance to win I I feel confident that they'll make that decision but maybe maybe they have blinders on is, is what you could be saying is they might have those blinders on of, you know we're comfortable with this guy we don't right. want to make a change I guess if I may be more specific um, I saw Kenny Pickett's non-existent fumble issues get highlighted in the combine process which spoiler that's our next topic um and he was credited with, like, 38 fumbles in college. And it just reminded me that, like, six to eight of them last year uh, were not Kenny Pickett fumbles, but uh, a couple balls that got rolled to him or put over his head. And it re-angered me <laughs> and made me think, you know, we could probably do without that next year. Because I don't know if Slovis is the athlete that Pickett is and is, is going to be able to handle being in, in that kind of... Uh, quarterback center exchange I'll shift to the other side of the ball I'm not too worried about the offense um, if Slovis is healthy I think they'll pick up where they left off almost uh, good stuff there linebackers I'm not worried because I think the guys that are coming in are promising the Shields and Kamara they look good Shane Simon might be decent so there is talent there I just am worried that guys might not be super ready and 
I don't know. I think linebacker on this position is pretty vital. I think the Western Michigan game, the linebacking play was pretty awful. Yeah. That cost us. So we can say our defensive line is ridiculous, but if another part of that defense is off by a little bit, it can be a problem. Secondary, uh, they ended on a high note, I guess. Like the bowl game, they kind of fell off. But Wake Forest, they played great for the final three quarters. Down the stretch of the season, it looked pretty good. Uh, I just hope they can pick up where they left off, get a little bit better. I think the secondary is super talented. Yeah. I think there's a ton of athletes back there, and big, like strong athletes. I think they'll have to replace a lot of Damari Mathis. He played a lot of snaps for them the last few years. Um, obviously, minus the year that he missed due to the injury. But, um, you know, a lot of guys back. Marquez Williams has been a stud. I feel like he, mm-hmm. you know, as tiny as he is, he's always in the right spot. And as long as, you know, he's not getting mossed by a bigger receiver. Um, he makes a lot of good plays on the ball. MJ Devonshire kind of came on towards the end of last year. Gave up a couple big plays in the bull game. But um, I do think there's a lot of talent back there. It was just kind of see who, who's going to replace uh, Damari Mathis' snaps. You know, A.J. Woods is another guy. Javante Royal was a pretty highly touted guy who hasn't got to see the field a ton yet. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if guys like that will step up. Yeah, if you told me at the beginning of last year, like week three, that next year uh, we have A.J. Woods and MJ Devonshire starting, I'd be a little worried. But Woods came on a lot. The beginning of the year, he was almost unplayable. Yeah. But he figured things out. And this was Devonshire's first year at Pitt. He bounced around positions. He was cornerback, safety, back to cornerback. And he's looked good enough to the point where I'm confident he can improve. And if he does, our defense would be pretty solid. Safeties would be really good, too. Brandon Hill was what, second team all ACC. Yeah. Eric Hallett for his. As much as we talked about him last year, I mean, really seemed to turn it on at the end, especially the ACC championship. Yeah, I mean, with him, it's really as simple as if he can improve in open field tackling. That's a, it's a very good football player we'll be looking at. But, I, John, I agree with you on the linebackers, and I think everyone on the lair and everyone in the Pittsburgh media and everyone in the Panther coaching staff uh, views that as kind of the thing that needs fixing, and I'm, I'm really excited uh, to see Shane Simon, um, uh, people who know Notre Dame football have told us that he was he was a very very good contributor. Um, what I heard from a Notre Dame fan friend, I don't know why I'm friends with Notre Dame fans, but unfortunately I am. It's a bit of an oxymoron. Yeah, I mean you grew up in the North Hills. You're you're bound to yeah, you're running bound to run into a lot of them. But he was a boomer bust guy. Like he'll make an insanely athletic play. Like out exactly. on the perimeter, yeah. and the next play he'll like just completely whiff or hit the wrong hole. And that so. kind of just kind of sounds how the pit defense is completely designed. But at the same time, you heard it with uh, Kylan Johnson playing a linebacker for Pitt. You kind of just put your head down and blitz, play aggressive. You don't think as much as maybe other schemes. If you're that aggressive, just hey, your responsibility is to. Run as fast as you can to this spot of the field. And if you're a good athlete, which he is, you might succeed. So, very valuable pickup. Just... And and Phil Campbell and Cam Bright were really good at Pitt for the last few years. But we also aren't losing, you know, guys who are going to get drafted on day one, day two, even day three of the NFL draft. I mean... John Patrician took a lot of 
Patricia, uh, too. Cam Bright snaps. Uh, Phil Campbell is a safety and turned into a really good outside linebacker. So they weren't... They ended up being really good players, but they're not irreplaceable. Well, I think we can have guys plug in. And these guys are experienced, too. We're not throwing guys into the fire. Not to mention uh, Voss is holding holding it down. Don't know yeah. what position he's going to play, but he legitimately, I think, has a chance to be one of the best players in the ACC. I, I think he's been awesome so far at Pitt, and he just seems like he keeps getting better. He's uh-huh. a football magnet, and the guys around him should have a pretty easy job. So I, I, we're going to have all the time in the world to uh, parse over our fears, anxieties, and hopes for the next season, but, but tell me one thing you're going to be keeping an eye on uh, as spring practices progress and close out? I think a big thing for me will be, you know, what does that uh, DN situation look like? Because we do bring back so much at that position, so much production already. But, you know, this Dayon Hayes, friend of the pod, uh, does he step up and does he become, you know, uh, you know, play even more snaps. So they move Deslin Alexander inside to give Dayon some more snaps at the end. This is a Nakai Johnson, uh, Elliot Donald, do those guys find their way into the rotation? Even though this D-line is so experienced and so loaded, there's some of those younger guys who are highly touted and have we've heard flashes, and in Dayon's case, we've seen flashes in games. Uh, be interested to see, you know, how that rotation shakes out. Squid? I'm just going to say linebacker. I think uh, there's a lot of potential there. And I'm eager to see who the next guy is because these are kind of guys that have been recruited. We were excited when they came to the program and they've played a little bit, but I'm curious to see what happens when they get uh, all the reps. It's kind of like Pitt basketball way back in the day. It's like we have this uh, – Brad Wanamaker guy getting a few minutes off the bench as a freshman, then get a little more minutes as a sophomore, and then before you know it, he's just like a key contributor on the team. It's kind of like that now. They've had their time to learn the offense, get on the field, and now put it all together and be good. Yeah, for me, it's the running back situation. I, I knew I wanna, you were say that. <laughs> I, I, I want to see if Signetti tips his hand at all about how, regarding how he is going to uh, utilize the three main running backs. Um, I've been very vocal about the fact that I think there's a clear number one, and Narduzzi referenced that, you know, Izzy, they're all number ones, but Izzy is, you know, their guy. I, I want to see if Signetti has um, kind of any any new strategies for how to implement them outside of just, like, you get a series, and then you get a series, and then you get a series, and back to you, and then like that whole BS Whipple was pulling because it. I really just don't think it utilized our most talented running backs to their fullest potential, and even guys that aren't the most talented running backs who have certain features of their game that could easily be utilized uh, on a football field were not because we needed to do this, you know, ring around the rosy carousel of everybody gets a series and it doesn't matter who's playing well, who's the hot hand, it, it's everybody gets a turn. Yeah. That's a good point you bring up with Scanetti. I think his offense will be a little bit different than Whipple's. Whipple's was very pass-heavy and running was an afterthought. It was even abandoned at times. 
Signetti, I feel like his offense is more balanced. So, who knows? You might get your wish. Fingers crossed. The 2022 NFL Combine was completed last weekend, uh, including performances from Pitt Panthers Kenny Pickett, Cal Adamitis, and Amari Mathis, who all had strong showings. Uh, do we have any major takeaways that don't have anything to do with the width of Kenny Pickett's hand? That's all I got. That's all I got from the combine was his hand size. I don't think they even covered anything else. What's the point? His hands are too small. What's the point? I guess there isn't one. You should probably just call it a career. I mean, he, he hit every pass, but uh, those hands, if they were like a quarter inch bigger, maybe he'd make it. Yeah, I, I sincerely don't want to talk about Kenny Pickett's hands, but I do want to say one thing because I, I think it's a really important detail that not enough people in the media or who like to make jokes about the media or football or whatever have pointed out, and it's that it is not that Kenny Pickett's hands are small, but the joints in his thumb make it impossible for him to extend on a x-axis to measure but it doesn't take away from his ability to wrap them around a football does that make sense <laughs> i mean you started to tell me this the other day i i don't know if that's a true but believe it, it or not i haven't examined kenny pickett's hands to that extent i'm also uh, double jointed in my thumb i don't think it's changed. Oh, this is this is bad radio. But uh, Dylan's doing something really weird with his thumb, and I want him to stop right now. His thumb is doing the worm. Yeah. No, no, his it it kind of wraps around. There's no way I'm adequately going to be able. to That's enough. This. I mean, all I know I is get the m- picture. More people in Pittsburgh probably measure their hands on that day than uh, any any day in recorded history. Oh, have you guys? Do you guys want to measure our hands real quick? I already did. I stretched it as far as I humanly could. I got eight and a half. But I cannot grip a football to save my life. So maybe you got something. David described a tape roller. So so don't forget, in our in our upcoming interview with Cal, Cal actually gives us a really important detail about how they measure your hands that I haven't heard much of the media talking about. It's that at the Senior Bowl, they like hold the tape measure up and you have to put your hand on it, but... Uh, at the combine, they lay the tape measure on a table, and they let you use like the force of the table to stretch it out. I am we'll, right at nine inches. We'll give you nine. Uh, yeah, I'm maybe a hair under nine inches, which is weird because I have very small hands. Oh, you got to cheat that over a little bit. That's all I got. Squids at eight and a half. So you're our benchmark for for Kenny Pickett. Not that that concerns me because I cannot grip an NFL football. But I think I'd be a great quarterback. Got all the the brains. You definitely, yeah. I just can't grip a football. <laughs> definitely got the size too. I'm, look, I'm looking at eight and a half. Okay. So am I the most pro ready person on this show? I can grip a microphone better than anybody. I don't care. 
Well, I bet Dylan can because he's double jointed and it gives him that, you know, the the thing that I was trying to describe earlier, you know. Let's so, move on to Damari Mathis' 40-yard dash time. I was going to say, <laughs> David, kick this off with, I don't want to really talk about 20-50 tants, <laughs> and now we're just talking about our hands. <laughs> well, I mean, so I, the it, people were one kind of rang true, yeah. Our DMs were exploding. I couldn't reply to them fast enough. The rooftops of Pittsburgh were a flutter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the Damari Mathis 40-yard dash is probably the biggest thing outside of Kenny Pickett's hands in terms of a pit football player's performance. Official 4-3-9. I think that qualifies you as a burner. And it makes me so excited because, like, nobody talks about, you know, that ACC speed. Uh, but when I saw that he ran a 4-3-9, I was so excited because Damari Mathis is not the fastest player on this pit team. He's no longer on the pit team. In 2021, he was not the fastest player on that pit team, and all of the guys who are faster than him are coming back next year. Izzy, A.J. Woods, Jordan Addison. They're all... That means there's a good chance they're they're all better than 4-4 speed. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always referred to as SEC speed, right? Yeah. But... I don't know. We got some burners on the team. I think. Um, I think. So there's there's some discussion about who actually is the fastest player on the team. Um, I, I think about eight guys stake the claim that they are the fastest, including our friend Jordan Addison, very famously on this podcast. Yes, correct, yeah. correct. Um, AJ Woods is the one I feel like I've heard enough to believe that he is. Um, and Izzy, when he gets moving, is just like freight train. Yeah, like. Like shades of Bo Jackson, but so I I don't know I don't know who but yeah I mean I think Jalen Barden's another guy who is like legit like probably close to four four speed he's a yeah. burner um, so yeah there's a lot of speed a lot of athleticism on the team it's just very exciting for Pitt to have surprise four four guys that's something that we were that's a luxury we were not afforded even a couple years ago um, but no he he tested really well. Um, I think he's looked at as a late-round sleeper pick uh, for a cornerback needy team. I'd be happy to see him on the Steelers. Uh, and then um, Shades of uh, Dane Jackson, just a guy who really was really solid for mm. you know three, four years. Um, Dane Jackson ended up being a seventh-round guy, but plays meaningful snaps for the Buffalo Bills. Um, so He started in the playoff game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is... So, I, I could see him taking that kind of route. You know, these these pit DBs just seem to always end up producing. Jordan Whitehead, Vontae Maddox, Dane Jackson. I was I was actually going to look at, for, at it from a more pessimistic viewpoint because they always end up good. But the reason... <laughs> they're always day three guys because the tape isn't great because the whole defense is predicated around uh, screwing them over. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh, I would rework that from a PR perspective and say that they're battle-tested. They're put in tough positions to persevere. If you can survive at Pitt, the NFL is easy. How about that? No, I, I think anybody who's ever watched football would agree with you. Yeah. Um, you play higher-level football at the University of Pittsburgh than you will on any other NFL team. This scheme against Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph is harder than being in the NFL against... Uh, Pat Mahomes. It's true. I'd, I'd argue that. 
So the the three. Do you pick- think? Uh, sorry. Do you think it's harder than playing in the USFL for the team Paris Ford is going to be playing for? If there's no targeting rules, Paris Ford will be a Hall of Famer. If there are, he might just get kicked out of the league in like four weeks. I'm just happy to see him doing well. I'm interested in watching him. Yeah, I have a feeling he's just gonna kind of put on a show in the USFL, but uh, that's enough USFL talk. That's I just wanted to, you know, throw it out there. It's pretty significant pit news. We should do entire episodes about USFL games breaking down Paris Ford's film. If he sees the field, I'm pretty sure he was a supplemental draft guy. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know where you have to be on the pro football totem pole to be a supplemental pick in the uh, the USFL draft. Low, because uh, yeah, because we saw uh, who got drafted. James Folston. Yeah, he like guy who like wasn't really all that good at Pitt, <laughs> but he was a pretty early round pick. So Folston would probably be like the 14th best defensive end on this Pitt team. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's enough USFL. Uh, um, we'll have Cal- an episode of the Maulers next week. Bringing on the roster. Cal had a good combine, right? He was... Uh, he ran a, a 4.97 in the 40, which I, I don't think uh, you know would have put him anywhere near the top of the fastest guys on the 2021 Pitt football team. Um, but... I, I feel like his bench press was respectable. Mm. But as you'll hear in his interview, uh, that's not really what they're looking for. They're more looking to talk to you and see if you're a fit for what they're trying to do. See if he's got that mental strength. I'd, I'd be interested to know what his Wonderlick test uh, score is, if they even still do that uh, to, you know, know. I think they outlawed that, didn't they? Didn't they say it's like not, not uh, morally correct or something? I just know that uh, it was... I think it was being construed. Uh, I mean, the only time you'd hear of the Wonderlick is if a quarterback bombed it, and everyone's like, "He can't learn the playbook." Like, no, he's you're giving him like math problems and like grammar questions. Yeah, it's a little just, bit different than a throw a football. He just doesn't know how many apples you have if you start with fifteen apples and then you triple the amount of apples you have, and then you give Sally four apples and, and Kenny six apples, and then the entire orchard burns down. I think that's one of the questions, right? Yeah, something like that. But yeah, yeah they, they outlawed it this year. The, or they, not outlawed it, but decided they're no longer going to do it. So, um, to give a more enjoyable experience to NFL draft prospects. Yeah, could you imagine making it to the height of your profession and then you just have to do like a like schoolwork? Bunch of riddles. <laughs> yeah. So You'll get your million dollar contract, but first you must answer for me these riddles three. Uh, good showing from the pit guys, really. Uh, I was I was pleased to see it. Um, did you guys find yourselves getting like personally invested in the Kenny Pickett Twitter dialogue, like wanting to fight guys with sunglass car front seat uh, Twitter avies talking about Kenny Pickett having little baby hands and wanted to find out where they lived and. I don't know, maybe hurt a couple guys. Yeah. That's always a battle. I mean, uh, I was commenting on YouTube videos defending Kenny Pickett's honor like, for weeks. Kept my mouth shut for the most part. I guess 
kept my fingers in my pockets. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't sent out too many tweets, but uh, I know a couple of you guys got a little frisky off the account. I'm getting uh, a little upset. <laughs> <laughs> there was one time I I snapped because some guy called Pickett a check down Charlie. Yeah, you clearly just haven't watched any pit football this past year. Like they, they're throwing thirty yard bombs on fourth down. So that's it's wh- kind of all the things that we would get like upset about like earlier when we were like Pickett doesn't get enough credit because he does all these good things. You just can't tell him. And then it was just amplified by like ten thousand by all these draft gurus or just fans of NFL teams who clearly never watched him play and just looked at his box score and saw he only threw thirteen touchdowns the previous season. Um, yeah, it was a little infuriating, but... I was getting a little upset during the combine because I feel like they were carving Malik Willis' bust for Canton already just based off of, like, the deep balls he was throwing and not even really completing. He had a couple really incredible deep balls, but he also overthrew, like, each that followed. Yeah, he's got shotgun-like accuracy. Sawed-off shotgun-like accuracy. Uh, yeah, so he was doing that and. Everyone was gawking over it. Uh, but Pickett was the most consistent. I feel like he put on a very good performance, and uh, he was just the afterthought. It, it I'm just, sure the actual people that matter, like the, the front offices, saw it and took that into account, but uh, the instant reaction was, whoa, Malik Willis going to throw the ball far. Yeah, I it was, it was really frustrating for me. It, it frustrates me every year because I, I love the NFL draft, and I have opinions about things that happen uh, relative to the NFL draft, and every single year, my least favorite thing in the entire world is, wow, look at this very mediocre group of five quarterback. Uh, he threw 20 interceptions, fumbled twice a game, um, couldn't beat, like, Temple and and Montana State Tech, uh, but this guy can throw the ball 80 yards, he runs a 4-5, and if he ends up in the right system, uh, they can teach him how to play football, and he'll be a Hall of Famer. They do it every year. They pick a new guy every year. This year's Malik Willis. The only time it has ever worked is Josh Allen, so I guess you have to take that chance. But it felt so much more personal this year because they're comparing him to Kenny Pickett and his little baby hands and his, his little toddler arm, apparently. I can... Uh, I can definitely admit and step up and say I was so wrong on Josh Allen. I thought for sure he was going to stink. I was like this guy from Wyoming who went 7-5 and five and like didn't throw for that many yards or do anything all that impressive at Wyoming. Um, but, but I was clearly wrong on that. But yeah, I feel like more often than not it's just like, okay, we've seen this story before. It's like the Drew Locke stinks. Carson Strong, he's going to stink. The guys who Brock can, Osweiler, Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch. Yeah, these guys who can just are like physically impressive and can throw the ball. Really Christian far. Hackenberg. Oh, he's second rounder. Christian Hackenberg earned a second round draft pick despite being a visibly bad quarterback for three years. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, now they're doing the same thing to our sweet boy. I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, th- I think the story has been, you know, from the beginning, Pickett is the guy who's most NFL ready, probably has the lowest ceiling. I don't know if I 100% agree with that, but, you know, teams get 
you know, infatuated with potential. Malik Willis, obviously, extremely impressive athlete, impressive arm, all that. But um, time will tell. Time will tell. Kenny's going to be able to step in. Um, I really do think he'll be able to contribute to an NFL team next year and give them a chance to win games. But all depends on what situation he ends up in. So I don't. I honestly don't mind if he doesn't go super high because I that I really don't want to see him end up in an organization like a you know can't give Washington a, football like team Washington Detroit like these organizations that are clearly piss poor NFL organizations um, would much rather have him drop and end up in a somewhere with a winning culture with coach that gives him a chance to win. And we'll we'll touch more on this as as we get closer to the draft because I think we all have ideas of uh, the most ideal situation for him to end up in. Um, it's just sad that as of today, it looks increasingly like it's not going to be Pittsburgh. But bring back Switzer and uh, let Mitch Trubisky pretend that he's playing against Pitt. Maybe the Steelers will be good. Mitchy football. That's a terrible note to end on, but. Yeah, no, I, I don't think we can go out like that. It's a good thing that we have this interview with Cal, or you would have just ruined everybody's week, John. Yeah, yeah so. Please welcome to the show a very special guest. 2021 Pitt Captain, All-American, Patrick Manley Award winner, and a long snapper for Pitt football for 64 consecutive games, as well as raiser of $114,000 for kids with cancer, Cal Adamitis. Cal, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy Friday to you guys, and uh, good, to, good to be on and talk a little Pitt football. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, as everyone knows, we're a very serious podcast, so I'm, I'm just going to cut right to the chase. How wide did your hands measure at the combine i uh they they got me with a good measurement i got 10 inches even so that was a pretty mm-hmm. solid and uh it was nice at the combine as opposed to the senior bowl they let you like squish your hand kind of against um there's like a ruler on a table so it gives you an extra extra little bit whereas at the senior bowl they just made just stick your hand out like this and then you know because your hand doesn't just naturally bend completely out it was a right. about a half less at the senior bowl for me so how important is, is that measurement for a long snapper? Obviously, there are some positions where uh, some might say it's the only thing that matters, but, but for a long snapper, how important is that? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's, uh, I'm not sure really many of the measurements mean that much for my position, to be, to be honest, <laughs> honest with you. Um, for me, I, you know, it was just good to get the exposure. And, uh, you know, I did most of the running and, and lifting just to kind of show them I'm, I'm at least – you know, fairly competent as an athlete, but other than, other than height, weight, and how I snap a ball, they, they really don't care too much. <laughs> well, that, that o- opens up to a, a, something I'm actually genuinely curious about. What do pro teams look for in a long snapper? You know, you are number one on at least Mel Kuyper's list. I believe Todd McShay has you as the number one overall long snapper. Uh, what makes you the best long snapping prospect in this draft and what are teams looking for? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, something I've tried to show through my years is, you know, obviously some athleticism, the ability to block, uh, to make some plays in coverage. And then in addition to that, obviously just 
real consistent with my snaps and uh, with field goals, you know, there's a, there's a fine art to snapping it so that the holder catches it with the laces out every time. That's, that's definitely something that's uh, it's optimal in, in college, but once you get to the NFL, it's, it's just kind of expected of you. Um, and then really other than that, you know, it's, it depends a lot based on the coordinator, you know, what they like. Um, there's some guys, some coordinators who take a linebacker or a tight end, somebody who's, you know, has those capabilities on an NFL roster and then just kind of breed them into a long snapper. And then there's also teams that are just like, I'm just going to take a dude who throws a good ball, put as much weight on him as possible. And then really could care less what he does other than snap a nice ball and take up space. So that, that's something that kind of varies from team to team. But uh, I, I like to show that, you know, I, there's potential maybe to, to do whatever a, a coordinator needs me to do, whether it be just take up space and snap a nice ball or, you know, be a little leaner and, and smoother and get down there in coverage. So it, it really depends. So tell us a little bit about your combine experience. Did you talk to a lot of teams? Uh, was it a stressful experience? You get all those weird questions that you hear about at the combine. Absolutely. It's, it's unique. I mean, to be honest, um, the senior bowl was actually kind of more of a grind than the combine um, just with it being a whole week. And you're, the one main difference, which Senior Bowl is an awesome experience, but the one big difference that the Combine did is they definitely fed us a little bit better. Um, obviously, we ate, we ate well at the Senior Bowl, but there weren't quite as many just like sna- like healthy snacks and like protein shake stuff to like take with us all the time. And since like Reese's is a big sponsor, there's just candy everywhere. So like guys were just slugging Reese's cups all through the week just to kind of like stay sharp and, and energetic whereas the combine like they definitely had more than enough like sandwiches and wraps and you know gatorades and protein bars all that stuff so that was probably the main difference but it's uh i, I didn't really get too many crazy questions to be honest because for for my position the interview process was mostly just with like coordinators at that point um so it was just be like round table style like one specialist would go to a table and there'd be probably five teams, special teams coordinators, and each one having like one or two assistants and analysts with them. And then the interviews at that point were more or less just like asking questions about our tape. And it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic because at that point they've watched all of our tape. And so they'll ask questions about your tape and basically just want to see if you'll kind of BS them. Like they'll ask about a bad rep and be like, Oh, why did this happen? And like, if you don't just answer it up front, like they'll, they'll kind of get on you. They'll be like, I've, I've watched the tape. Like you don't need to, you don't need to bullshit with me. Like I know, I know what I know. And so there's really, it's, it's definitely an interesting dynamic in that way. Whereas in the senior bowl, most of the interviews were with scouts. So they were more just like kind of getting to know you, like just asking more general questions. Um, and to be honest, I did get more weird questions at the senior bowl than the combine. What was the weirdest like what? one you got? Ah. Uh, so I, I uh, it wasn't anything crazy, just a, a few questions about, you know, a couple of teammates in the past and just my relationship with, with other guys and not nothing crazy. There was one, the, the only weirdest question I would have to say that just kind of came out of left field is um, a, a scout, I won't say from where, was trying really hard to like infer that Lucas was like a party animal. And I was just like, <laughs> where like, why? group, like, we all do the same stuff after every game. Like he was like, really? Like I, I heard he's pretty wild. And I was just like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like it's, it's, I don't, maybe there's history at Florida or something like that. But when he was at Pitt, like he was, 
he was he was as clean as the rest of us like he never really got his nose into anything so that was probably the weirdest thing i had but i, I got pretty lucky nothing too crazy well i think yeah, he I cut his mullet didn't he that might be why <laughs> i think i saw on instagram his mullet's gone <laughs> Yeah, it was a PR move. I mean, but can you blame him? Have you like he probably just looked at Lucas Kroll once and was like, "This Disgusting. guy can do a keg stand for two minutes." <laughs> yeah, between the mullet and the pit vipers, he'd rock sometimes. It just probably. Get- <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's good. So no one was like, I, w- I always hear the horror stories from the combine of coaches like, "Please relive your worst childhood trauma to me and how it impacted you." And it's like, well, I lost my mother at two do we have to talk about this right now so it's good that they uh kind of let you you slide on that one um can you tell us which teams you talked to yeah so i actually all 32 teams um at the the senior bowl they basically did like a big convention center like basically just snaked from table to table for like three hours on tuesday and then three hours again on thursday and spent like 15 minutes with each team and then at the combine, it was all 32 teams again, but just the format was different um, since it was like the coordinators instead of just scouts. So basically it was like 15 minutes. You sat down at a table, like I said, with, you know, five coordinators and each of them had one or two assistants. And then it was just basically kind of a free for all for 15 minutes asking you questions. And then, you know, like a little buzzer went off and you just went to the next table. So got to talk to all 32 teams, which is which is definitely cool. Uh, we know your brother, uh, Graham, your older brother, Graham, Adamitis, played at Princeton, tight end, current NFL free agent, uh, spent some time with the Colts last year. Um, was he able to give you any type of advice uh, as to like how to carry yourself around NFL personnel, uh, anything like that he gave you before you went down there? Absolutely. And I think one of the, the most helpful areas uh, that he, he was able to offer advice was in the process of finding an agent, too, because that's something that at times can get kind of dicey. You just you know, everyone, obviously, the agent wants to invest in you. But, you know, a lot of times the reality, too, is they're investing in you because it gives them a chance to, to make money as well. And so you just kind of have to, you know, learn to take everything with a grain of salt and don't get too into your own hype and just stay kind of level headed through it all. So that was definitely a, a, a process where he was helpful and helped me discern, you know, what agent I wanted to sign with and just kind of what to look for in terms of, you know, a good agent and someone who's going to vouch for me and, and actually, you know, believe in me as opposed to just like kind of, you know, just actually genuinely having a good relationship. Have you signed with an agent? Yeah, I signed with uh, an agent named Chris Turnage. He's uh, with UA Sports Agency. I signed with him just basically right after the season. And uh, he, he represents um, primarily specialists, also a couple other guys. But, you know, I think one of the reasons I went with him is he, he represents you know, the guy who, in, in my opinion, is the, the best long snapper in the league at this, at this point. Um, Luke Rhodes from the Colts, he was in the Pro Bowl this year. And uh, he also represents uh, Ross Matizik, who's the snapper for the Jaguars. So just kind of has a good track re- record with long snappers and, you know, seemed like a good guy, too. Was, who's my parent? My parents met with him. My parents liked him the best, too. So it was kind of just across the board, the, the right move for me. I'm always interested in how specialists begin being specialists. Do you remember the time whenever you found out, like, I'm going to be a long snapper, I'm going all in on this? Yeah, so there's the the simple story that I, I've kind of told because that's always the question they ask it at the Senior Bowl and Combine as well. Um, my junior year of high school, I was getting some playing time at, as a tight end, but, you know, obviously that 2016 team, uh, we ended up winning state that year, and it was just a, a stacked squad. 
And my Central dad was Catholic, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Central Catholic should have been North Hills, but okay. <laughs> you know, it was, I had to, yeah, it's, it's, it, I feel bad, but it was, it was definitely <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. here's my excuse for that. If, if I went to North Hills, I, I might not have ever learned a long snap because I might not have ever been fourth string tight end. So, <laughs> but it all worked out. You won an ACC championship. So we forgive you. And we're all on the same team now. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so my dad was the one who just suggested uh, learning to snap as kind of a way to get on the field more. And then we had a, a guy, Coach Phyllis, and then uh, Ron Fuchs, who are two like special teams coaches. And Coach Phyllis in particular knew, you know, knew enough about kicking, snapping, punting to, you know, teach guys at least the, the bare bones, get them on the right, the right path. And it just was kind of clicking for me pretty quickly. Um, and then ended up before my senior year going to Pitt's camp and like won their specialist like MVP at their camp. And then that was kind of when I realized like, okay, like I'm definitely good enough to, to play at the next level. But then they go way back. The first time I ever long snapped was in seventh grade for the North Hills chiefs. Uh, I, I handled our long snapping duties then can't say I was as good as I, as I am now at it, but definitely was, was, was competent then. So that was the very first time I ever long snapped, which, I, I usually don't get that back far in the in the history talking about it. So you've been so you've been snapping for pretty long, uh, all the way back to the Chiefs, the seventh grade. Um, so you've snapped thousands and thousands of times over your career at this point. Do you remember what the most nervous you ever were before a long snap? Uh, yeah, most nervous. I mean, probably just my first snap, like in college. That is. Um, like obviously it wasn't a huge, a huge game, but just like the fact that I was suiting up for Pitt and like snapping for Pitt, it was 2017 versus Youngstown state. And uh, like just the fact that I was out there on like a division one field was kind of a lot further than, you know, most people thought I'd ever really get in my football career. And, and uh, it was just surreal. And it was, it was nice that we had a, a veteran punter to kind of help me through it and keep me cool um, because definitely, you know, the, the first time is always just the, the most nerve wracking. And it's, it's interesting too, because the very next week we played at Penn state. So it was kind of definitely a baptism by fire, but I still even thinking about it was, was more nervous for that first Youngstown state game than Penn state. And uh, coach Powell, our special teams coordinator in the pregame meal, I was getting some fruit to put on my plate and like my hand was literally like shaking. And uh, he like kind of saw me and called me out and he's like, Cal, I'm not going to need to get the rubber underwear for you, man. Am I? And I was like, <laughs> So that's that's one of his his sayings he always says to the new guys before their first game. Well, so it's it's good that you know you you were able to compose yourself at the Division One uh, level because we uh we have it from a reliable source that you used to get pretty nervous uh, even before practices <laughs> oh, growing yeah. up. This and is there was talking to Graham about. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, and neither does he. But. Um, <laughs> There, there is a rumor from someone who's definitely not your older brother uh, that you used to get so nervous about the, the pre-practice lap that one day you threw up all over yourself and it also happened to be uh, picture day. Is that correct? Can you confirm? You know, because you're good guys, I, I will confirm that story. Those <laughs> <laughs> so definitely, yeah, I've, that's one of the reasons kind of, I think I've fell in love with football so much is just because like, I've seen so much like personal growth through the years. Cause I really was like for most of my youth and with youth sports, I would just get so whooped out of shape and, 
and like nervous and just like excited like excited but also like just genuinely nervous and uh yeah so it was it was picture day for I think it was the Braves which is what that's like third fourth grade um and yeah I just was super nervous and we're in line for the pictures behind Ross Field and I was just like dad I don't feel good and he like walked me over to like some bushes and I just like started heaving (laughs) and then yeah (laughs) so that's that's a true story look how far you've come yeah amen to that (laughs) yeah you're about to be snapping on Sundays can you what what do you how do you think that little kid throwing up in the bushes would feel about that probably start throwing up some more yeah he he would just be fired up I don't know Uh, that was one of the things I definitely tried to keep in mind at, at the combine and just through my career as well just like no matter how it goes like 10 year old me would just be like in awe of the fact that I even got to like put on a division one uniform and like have the chance to go to the senior bowl and combine. So I think that having that experience kind of like keeps me centered a little bit. So let's talk about your upcoming pro career a little bit. Uh, you've spent your whole life in Pittsburgh. Uh, you came up through the North Hill school system, went to central Catholic university of Pittsburgh. Uh, is it weird to you that in a month, Uh, the entire next phase of your life is going to be decided on your behalf in, in a moment. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things I'm, I'm excited for it. And yeah, it's, there's not, it's tough to put into words because it is crazy. Like I've, I've been in, in North Hills or Oakland my entire life. And like, I mean, literally right now I'm, I'm sitting in, in our home and, in North Hills, you know, I've been living at home most of the time this spring, like training. And like, it is just crazy that kind of more or less on the drop of a hat, I'm going to be on a plane heading to somewhere probably far away from Pittsburgh and getting ready to start the next chapter. But I I think the good thing too, is I do feel genuinely ready for it. And, uh, you know, definitely like, like last year, if I would have came out, I would have been ready to play. But I just think in terms of really like finishing what we started at Pitt and, and enjoying the full experience, I just wasn't ready for it. And at this point, I'm, I'm definitely ready to kind of just see see what's next. And I know I'll always have home in Pittsburgh, but uh, I'm just I'm excited to kind of come out of my shell a little more, I guess. <laughs> have you dealt is there a city uh or a location like are you looking for warm weather or you know any, anything you're looking for for your next city that you live in with a bad offense so you have to snap the ball a lot yeah you know honestly I, i'm easy i mean i definitely wouldn't mind warm weather but um you know a lot of the teams i've been been getting interest from or at least most interest from and teams who need new snappers um are not some of the most tropical climates. So I'm just excited to keep playing. But, uh, you know, I know me and my boys from, from Pittsburgh have definitely all been like, Oh dude, you need to make sure you go to Miami or (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm all for it, but whoever's signing a paycheck or paying me to play football, that's where I'm going, man. (laughs) Well, I mean, as, as the number one long snapper in this class per, uh, Mel Kuyper you could you could probably hold out for whatever you wanted right you could pull a uh, Eli Manning and and say no I don't I don't want to go to and I'm just using this as an example so if Detroit's listening uh, please don't hold this against Cal I don't want to go to Detroit you you better trade me to you know LA or Miami that would certainly be a first for a long snapper I don't I don't know if I have the balls to be that that bold but uh that would, that would be a that would definitely make the news. So 
not sure about that, but if I don't get drafted, um, you know, definitely I'll have opportunities as a you know free agent where at that point I'll be able to more or less pick like whatever team is because there'll be more options basically as a, as a free agent than if I get drafted, you know, if you get drafted, you go to where you're drafted. Obviously I'd hope to get drafted and that'd be a dream come true. But if that doesn't happen, like it's, it's just as good. Cause you know, I'll, I'll still then have probably a couple teams reaching out to me and I'll be able to pick, all right, you know, this is the team I really want to go to and see myself having the most success. So almost as, as someone who, I think you'd more than likely be a, a day three guy. Do you almost kind of want to be given that option of free agency where you can pick or, or I don't know. Cause I, I know there's certain pay grades associated with where you're drafted. I guess what I'm asking is how does the draft work? Yeah. So I definitely would be like a, a day three, like late, you know, late draft pick. Um, if I, if I get drafted, but it's uh, it's tough to say. It's also something like I'm learning on the fly too with all this stuff. Um, I definitely though, like simple answer, I I want to get drafted. Like that's just every kid's dream <laughs> to hear their name get called and like you know just get that phone call and like just be around your family. I mean that would just be surreal. So I, I definitely the goal is to get drafted. But um, yeah, it's, I I really haven't even looked that far into the difference of like the signing bonuses and, and stuff like that. You know, hopefully if I'm no matter what, I'll, you know, hopefully get a decent signing bonus. The only thing I've, I've jokingly considered is if I do have the option between like, you know, basically if, I, if there's a team to play for in, in Florida, like I'm going to be bringing home a lot more of that league minimum because of lower taxes. <laughs> than so I'm definitely aware of that, but I'm not sweating it too much either way. Thinking about getting drafted, uh, sitting in the living room around your family, have you thought about what a what a draft party might look like for you? Yeah, actually, uh, it, well, either way, what we're going to be doing is, um, I don't know, I'm sure you're aware of the North Park Lounge on Babcock. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. been a place that, I don't know, me and my buddies and, and North Hills and Central alike, we've, you know, gone to that place a lot. So probably on the day, you know, day three, when I have the best chance of getting called, my family and just a couple of my friends are going to head over there and just kind of have some food and probably a couple of drinks and, you know, have my phone ready. And if I get a call, you know, we'll be celebrating and I'm sure have, you know, more than our share of some icy lights and that stuff. But, you know, if we don't too, then we're probably going to do the same thing and just celebrate, you know, whatever's next. So that's, that'll, that's what I'll be doing that week. Maybe, a, maybe a potential uh, loyal son's, watch party at North Park Lounge make it happen absolutely I mean I'm I'm all for it you know obviously there'll be a little more to to watch and celebrate if I do get a phone call but I'm sure either way it'll be a good time so I this and this is just a stupid question I had kicking around uh because we've run out of all of our, our scripted stuff. So this is when the idiocy comes out. Uh, how far could you snap a ball? Like put your full body into it. How like, like they had Pickett and, and Malik Willis out there trying to chuck a ball as far as they could. How, how far do you think you could snap one? If I, if I just really tried to send it, which honestly I'd, I'd be lying if I said I haven't tried it before. I think my <laughs> record like around 30 yards. Cause it's tough. Once you get to a certain point, like you're just lobbing it. So you gotta gotta find a good ratio, good launch angle. Um, but I, I think I could at this point probably throw it closer to thirty five. But anything past that is uh, definitely very impressive. 
Maybe we should petition for a long snap contest in the Pro Bowl next year. I think that's uh, I think that will get the viewers in. Absolutely. I'll, I'll, watch I'll it. first name on there <laughs> signing that petition. I have a I think- uh, one anecdotal story that I was talking to my brother about that he said you guys might enjoy. So figure I can. By all means. <laughs> so Please. you guys are you guys friends with Elliot King then from North Coast? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so this is a good story. Um. 2018 when we clinched the coastal at wake forest um i think we, i know this story but you know this go story. ahead i think so but go ahead so we we obviously that was like an afternoon game so we got back pretty early maybe like seven ish and uh we were all thrown down and, and panther house what is now fat so we all all rolled up there i was there i was there at panther house <laughs> okay damn well I, then I probably saw you too, because we uh, I, I just go up to the bar to get a drink, and uh, I'm just ordering a drink, and this guy looks at me, he's like, "Are you Cal?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "Do you do you recognize me by any chance?" And like for whatever reason, because uh, I hadn't seen Elliot in probably 12 years, like at that point, he was he was like, "Do you do you recognize me by any chance?" I was like, "Are you Elliot King?" And he was like, "No way, that's crazy." And I was like, yeah, like you and Graham used to practice like snaps in, in our backyard the night before games. Cause like in youth football, one of the biggest problems is like just actually the center snapping it to the quarterback. So they used to do like a couple reps on Friday nights before the Saturday morning games. And uh, he was like, oh, I can't believe like you remember that. So we just started chatting and he was like, dude, I'm buying you guys shots all night. So he, he bought, I mean, it, it was a number of shots and like, whoever rolled up was was involved too and it was it was a good time he, he took care of he took care of the pit panthers that night so I, I appreciated that greatly and everyone everyone celebrated that well and luckily we we were able to get back to the ac championship this year and, and finish the job but that was that was definitely a fun night there so every year that uh that memory comes up on my snapchat of us being in panther house and the best memory from that night is elliot taking taking his beer walking up to kenny pickett chugging the beer in his face and putting his arm around him like they've known each other since they were little kids so <laughs> that's great that's awesome <laughs> but yeah that was a fun night and it really was like i remember just like a bunch of pick football guys in there and uh just a bunch of dudes having fun after uh clinching the coastal absolutely we yeah, were so juiced that day i remember we were watching it and after the final touchdown to like I forget what the score was, but it was to make it a two score game with not much time left. We like booked the Airbnb, like at that moment with the Charlotte, that was like our Super Bowl. just That's getting awesome. there. Heck yeah. Oh, I, I can't wait to celebrate. What, what day is, is it September three versus uh, West Virginia coming up this season? Uh, September 1st. Cause it got bumped up to Thursday night. That's right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm already counting down the days to that. It'll be an interesting conversation when when I have to tell whatever NFL coach I'm playing for that I'm, I might be hung over for whoever we play that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why we all took off uh, Thursday, Friday, and and probably Monday. <laughs> well, I think I think Monday's Labor Day, isn't it? Oh yeah, it might be actually. Oh yeah, <laughs> five day weekend for for the backyard brawl. Absolutely. Um, Real quick, and we ask this of, of everyone, do you have any good Pat Narduzzi or Tim Salem stories? Because we are absolute suckers for anything. Oh, man. Turbo. He, uh, I mean, I, everyone always tells the story. I'm sure you've, you've heard about how Turbo sometimes will just, like, sleep in his office. That's that's definitely, like, a, an iconic Turbo thing. Um, I, 
I, I, so there was like an ongoing joke and obviously I know coach Salem like liked me and we had a good relationship, but sometimes too, just like, you just can't really tell, like he, he can definitely be a wild card at times. And I mean that with, with all the, all due respect. But uh, when I, when my hair was at its peak of length and like, he would always come up to me like, yeah, when are you getting a haircut? And I'd be like, Oh, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like whenever. And, and then he like, just kept asking me, <laughs> like every time I'd see him and then it started to get like really specific he'd be like like Cal when you get a haircut and I'm like oh, I don't know you find a good barber for me just kind of like playing it off he's like yeah actually I did like there's this guy I go to in like South Hills and he'll he'll cut your hair he'll give you a great haircut <laughs> like okay like I was kidding I'm not actually cutting my hair but and then once at least I started doing the fundraiser he was he was a little more on board with the hair but it was cracking me up there was a point where I'm like I, I can't tell if like coach Salem actually like hates my hair or if he's just like fully invested in like this joke, but that's, that's probably was uh, my, my funniest coach Salem story where I just like couldn't gauge like if he was kidding or if he like actually really wanted to like cut my hair and then you expecting him to come up behind you with like clippers and just shave a chunk off. Yeah. Yeah. During I was a meeting or something safety scissors. And he's like, Oh, well you're missing a couple inches on the back. So might as well get the rest cut. <laughs> no but luckily that never happened but in terms of coach doozy um i mean i do have to say like i i i'm a full supporter of of coach doozy because he's he's treated me really well like as a long snapper not not many coaches like genuinely invest in their long snapper the way coach doozy does so i have to say like i can't i i i definitely got off easy you know because he he's a fiery guy and he's he's passionate and there's definitely dudes who have seen the the, the hard end of that. Um, but in terms of like funny stories, uh, I mean, I guess a pretty funny one. It's, it's nothing too crazy. Um, it was like during camp, probably I think 2019. And uh, it was just like the dog days of camp. And for whatever reason, like him and Maurice French started just kind of like jokingly arguing in the locker room. And before you know it, there's like a group like surrounding in a circle, just getting rowdy. And uh, there's like a big pit script in the center of the locker room that usually like we don't step on. And then everyone, long story short, it just kind of cornered them on this pit script. And before you know it, they start like wrestling, like full out just grappling in the middle of the locker room. And uh, that was pretty funny. I mean, it was, they're definitely both competitors. So he didn't want to lose. I forget who won, but they were definitely getting after it for probably four or five minutes in, in the middle of the locker room. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm blanking on anything else real funny. No, don't, don't worry. You did not disappoint. That is a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay good money to watch that happen. Yeah, it speaks to the type of type of coach he is. He just is a, a passionate dude and will, will use any excuse to, to be competitive for sure. And that's, uh, that's how you win championships, I guess. Amen to that. Amen to that. And hopefully there's a, a bunch more on the way, so. Fingers crossed. Well, hey, this is this has been awesome. Uh, we're incredibly thankful that you uh, gave us your time, and we are unbelievably excited uh, to see you know what goes down draft weekend and and where you end up and uh, and where your story continues. Uh, you know, you're you're you've achieved legend status in Pittsburgh. I can't remember the last time uh, the entire city knew the name of. Pitt's long snapper, but you've achieved that through your works on and off the field. And uh, as Pitt fans and North Hillians, we are incredibly proud of everything you've accomplished. And we're, 
looking forward to uh, the next couple Super Bowls you win. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on, and, and hail to Pitt. Hail to Pitt. Hail to Pitt. Hail to Pitt. All righty. Thank you for tuning in to The Loyal Sun Show, presented by Rendine Consulting. Thank you to Cal Adamitis for joining us to talk a little bit about his experience at the Combine and the upcoming NFL Draft experience. We'll be back in the next few weeks previewing the spring game, NFL Draft, and other pit athletics topics. As always, thank you for joining, and hail Loyal Sons of Pittsburgh. Please draft, Kenny. Touching hands, reaching out, touching me, touching you.